0: Today, I'm Jaja. Like, I was actually finally validated for how I felt. It wasn't like, okay, you're gonna say something really life changing, like, I wanna kill myself, and then the next moment we're gonna be like, do you want tea? It's like, that's, tea's not gonna fix it. It's
1: not gonna work out. Middle Eastern
0: people use tea to fix everything. I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs>
1: like, I don't need tea. Dude, is the cardamom isn't gonna do it this No, way? no, no. The cardamom's not gonna no. fix it. That's my guest, Amirya Sai. He's an activist, entertainer, and connector here in LA who's using his life and platform to show how you can be Muslim, Persian, queer, and so much more all at the same time. That's coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Psych! There is no sponsor, there's only you and me, and that's why if you like what you hear and you want to help us grow, you've got to donate which you can very easily do by PayPal on my website, jahansharif.com, or by Venmo. My username is jahan-sharif. That's J-A-H-A-N-S-H-A-R-I-F. Now with that out of the way, please enjoy my conversation with Amir. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> how are you what are you laughing at What are you
0: laughing at? <laughs> you're you just so like <gasps> and we're
1: here reporting live reporting live from, <laughs> from my apartment let me take you in right now take me in i took my little um cover-up off but yeah i know the cover-up plus the choker it really made a look thank you where'd you get this choker from um i got it at coachella it's for free at
0: like some party i was like i'll take it free is the best and she was like it's for girls i was like Give me the fucking (laughs) choker.
1: But anyway, thank you so much for coming over here. I appreciate it. Of
0: course. It was a little hot skip. It's not a big deal.
1: So last week, I went over to your podcast. And we had a wide-ranging conversation about all sorts of things, but it was focused on community. And one of the things that came up in our conversation was this idea of emotional privilege. Mm -hmm. And I think it was a comment that, I mean, I certainly have never heard the term before. I don't know if academics use it as a term, but you used it in the context of, as a response to something where I said, well, you know, if you feel something about X, you should talk about it. Mm -hmm. And you were like, well, sometimes you can't talk about it. Like, Mm -hmm. even if you want to talk about it, that, you know, assuming that you can always talk about it, Mm -hmm. assumes that there is this idea of emotion, there's an emotional privilege Mm -hmm. involved in that. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I don't really know what that means. So I wanted to hear from your perspective, what you think of when you think of emotional privilege. And I'll tell you afterward what I feel too.
0: Okay, I mean, it's, it's funny that um, I'm getting so much credit for this word because I don't even know where it came from. I've never heard it. I've never read it. It just, in that moment, like, when we were talking, it's just those two words came to me, and they just kind of clicked. And when I said it, what I meant was, like, if you're someone that, let's say you want to talk about an issue you have with someone and you want to be a bit confrontational. But your culture, let's say you were raised in an Asian culture or a Persian culture where talking about stuff, it's a silence culture. It's not a culture of like, you talk about your feelings. That's kind of what I meant. Like that person that is in that culture is coming from that culture as opposed to someone maybe that's white that's like, talk about your feelings, go to therapy, be open. It's Mm -hmm. a very different, that's what I meant by like,
1: that emotional, privilege. and I think also when yeah. I was debriefing with myself afterwards, I had a similar experience because yeah. I remember um, I was at a table read for a friend of mine who has a play, and mm-hmm. one of the actors, actresses, who. Uh, she trained at Juilliard. Mm -hmm. And she says that when she was at Juilliard, she had to go to the deans of the school because she's black. And her black male colleagues were at risk of being thrown out of the school because they were getting all sorts of disciplinary actions uh, taken against them. And when she talked to Mm -hmm. the professors, they were like, oh, he just doesn't take feedback well. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. And the insight Mm -hmm. that she had was like, these white female professors don't understand the black male experience, mm. especially in the 80s. So when you come at him with, you know, do you hear what I'm saying? And he just says, yes. But he doesn't really. No, he does. <laughs> but he just is not going to emote in oh, the same I see way. Oh, He doesn't feel safe. There's a lot He's of never safe been allowed to feel mm. safe. He's never been allowed to emote in a safe way. And so right. that's how I sort of internalize this idea of emotional privilege. Got it, it is the it is the freedom to emote mhm it is without consequence, without consequence right without
0: and like there have been times where even with my own family like i have expressed myself persian. i'm persian so coming out with a muslim family i've i've emoted i've been very like i am gay right and then a week later my parents were like hi and it was just like, wait, what? Like, I had this life-changing 180 in my life, and they were just like, oh hi. Like, we're just gonna pretend it didn't happen. We're gonna
1: pretend it didn't happen.
0: And I was like, and I remember, like, I was driving with my mom on the freeway, and I knew that this is the moment to really do it again. Cause she can't go anywhere, and she's like, I don't want to have this conversation. And I was like, Did you she, have do have this conversation. Wait, wait,
1: wait, wait, wait. This is the moment. You had already told her that you're gay. Yeah.
0: Oh. And I tell her again. And you're
1: gonna tell her, and you're like, this is the because mo- I'm trapped with her in the I'm car. I'm trapped,
0: again. and she won't and like. She, she can't it run. Away. And she was like, I'm not gonna have it. And I was like, you have to have this conversation. And even since then, it's very much that. It's like. You live your life, and I'll live my life, and then we'll have brunch once in a while, or we'll just pretend. It's like the pink elephant in the room. Yeah. But that is what I meant kind of with emotional privilege, because most cultures, when you tell someone you're gay, or you're different, or you have an issue, they usually, generally will tackle it. This idea that, like, we're going to just pretend it doesn't exist is very... Asian, Persian, like Latino, we're going to pretend it doesn't exist. We're just going to be like, okay, you can coexist and we're just going to let you live a double life. Mm -hmm. But I was tired of that. So I've gotten tired of playing those games. And I think that it, sometimes I get jealous of people that can just like MO and then like maybe even have an argument or yell at someone and then kind of like have a breakthrough. Because with my family, it's like, even if I was to yell and scream and light myself on fire, they would be like. It's too much.
1: Let's, like, go to brunch. Let's, yeah. let's go to Louis Vuitton. Let's pretend nothing's happening. It's like, that is frustrating. I wonder where that comes from sometimes. Right. Because in my experience, it's true. Like, yeah. I don't know. I just genetically can't keep things in. <laughs> I mean, look at this. I have a whole, like, podcast and website Parts. literally talking about my feelings all damn bad. <laughs> so, so sometimes I wonder, like, what is yeah. it like to grow up in a situation where you have feelings, you have all these emotions, and then at the same time you have to navigate, like, which emotions are appropriate, like, which are okay. Because mm-hmm. you feel all the things, so which are okay? How right. do you figure that out? Right. Well, it's it's hard because
0: at a young age in those cultures, I mean, I can't speak of every culture. I can speak for Middle Eastern culture. I, my cousins, my sister, and me. Early on, you realize that if you want to do all the things you want to do, you it's time to split your life mm. and to do to go to the mosque in the afternoon and then hit the club at night. You learn how to play those roles. You want to drink. You also do Ramadan. You're going to play all the different roles. And it starts to get confusing because you're almost like an actor, right? You're playing different roles and wires start getting crossed. Yeah. Like I'll show up and I'm like, oh shit. Like um, I got to put, I'm wearing nail polish on my toes. I got to buy socks because I'm going to my grandma's house and I have to now put on socks because I'm wearing sandals. Stuff like that where you all of a sudden your lives start crisscrossing. Yeah, you're out with your. I was out with my parents, and on Fourth of July in Laguna Beach, I hooked up with a guy in LA, and guess who's sitting next to us at a restaurant?
1: Not the guy in LA. Not the LA guy
0: from that I hooked up with. Oh, and I'm like, my oh my god. I'm like, I hope he doesn't approach us. That's when your life starts crisscrossing.
1: And that's you know, because life is messy that way. It is. And nothing of just stays in its own little boxes. Yeah. Eventually, the whole thing implodes. It, of
0: course, and it did. And it, I got to a point where I was like, I'm i thir- I'm in my thirties, and I'm still living a double life. Like it was, it was getting exhausting. Yeah. At first, it's fun. Like. And I know a lot of people out there that have come out, there is this emptiness. When, once you come out, you're not holding a secret anymore. Like, mm. I'm going to be very raw, but like when I came out, I started stealing things because I needed something to have as a secret. I would go to a restaurant, I would take salt and sh- pepper salt shakers. shaker, yeah. I would take a fork it's from like a petty restaurant. Theft, yeah. Petty theft. I would never steal anything big, but I would always, and I, and I remember like I opened a cabinet with like literally 30 or 40 things that I'd stolen and I threw it all out. But I, what I realized as I did the work and did the therapy, I realized, oh my God, like I was trying to fill a void that being in the closet filled inside of me because I had a secret like it felt kind of electrifying yeah
1: it is it is to kind yeah. of like ride the edge if that makes sense it, it, like, it, that's what it felt like maybe maybe yeah. get in trouble but also you maybe get away with it right like I
0: would hook up with a guy and then I'd go to the mosque with my family and pray and I was like it's kind of like it was electrifying that I could play these roles but doesn't that get like, exhausting oh, oh yeah oh yeah like I got so tired
1: of it I was like I can't do this anymore yeah yeah. See, I think again. Fortunately, I'm a fundamentally very lazy person, <laughs> and so like the yeah. thought of having to be like, oh my god, how am I going to think about this? Is like if I have this happening over there and this happening right. over there and this happening right. over there, I'm just going to take a nap and like. Well, it, it it did catch up to me. Well, what is kind of important that I mention for people that
0: don't know is that in that culture, it's second nature. It's automatic. Like, it's automatic. It's well, not like I was actually sitting it. there and going. Mm-hmm. Hey, Uh, I never had to think about it, right? Wait, so then if
1: you never have to think about it and it's just part of you, how did you come to the awareness that, oh, wait, this is actually a little bit not right? Therapy.
0: Therapy. Mm-hmm. Therapy, and then it started crisscrossing. When well, my life started to fuse and crisscross. And I remember when I sat in front of a stranger, God bless her, my therapist saved my life. she, she was this like fabulous woman that would wear had a little bob and she'd wear Chanel suits. I mean, she was just like had a No, she was a white lady. Okay. And that was really important to me because I didn't want to sit in front of a Persian person that would be like, oh, that's normal. Like that's what I did. Yeah. She was kind of aghast at everything I said. And it was actually nice because even though therapists are not supposed to have reactions, in my moment, I needed someone to have reactions and be like, "That's fucked up. Yeah, that's not okay. Like, you shouldn't have to carry that burden." And I was like, "I don't need to do this anymore. Yeah, like, like, I'm different gonna different break the to chain. Live. You know, a
1: different way to live. Exactly, yeah. exactly." How did you come to therapy? Because in person, and Middle Eastern cultures, it's it's not, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it <is> not embraced, <laughs> shall we say. It is not embraced at all.
0: Like, um, <laughs> my uncle is a, a really well-known therapist. He's like. I mean, he can't tell us who, but he's worked with a lot of celebrities and he's worked with a lot of people that he does like trauma counseling and he has a lot of like, you know, alcohol and, you know, abuse centers. And he's like very involved. And so there was always therapy in our family, but it was very much like you don't go like that's his job. Like you don't go to therapy. So it's when I for them, it's, it's for that exactly. Yeah. There's there's a lot of othering in Persian culture. We have a lot of um, we think we're better, and there's a lot of elitism. So it's like, I our problems are not that bad. Like you have a roof over your head, you have a nice car, you have a job. Like your parents love you. I had people tell me when I was like, I want to go to therapy. No, you're tall though. Like why are you going to therapy? Like you're handsome. <laughs> Stuff like that where it, like they don't because understand. those
1: things are connected. Yes, they're
0: very connected. You're handsome and you're tall. You don't have any problems. Of course. So I was like, what? Um, And so when I started going to therapy, I found it through my sister. So my sister wanted to do group therapy with my parents. Somehow she convinced them to go. And then she connected me with this therapist. And when I started going, it was great. And then I was really, I spent three weeks at home. I was agoraphobic. I was going through a really rough, I couldn't get out of bed. I was just, and it's funny in those three weeks that I was at home, my mom never thought it was weird that I never left the house. baby's home yeah baby's home everything's fine and we're not we're gonna pretend you're fine when I told my mom I was depressed she was like you'll get over it Mm. so that's kind of and then I realized in that moment they weren't gonna help me so I was like I have to seek help or I'm gonna kill myself that's really where I was and it, it, it sounds crazy sitting here at 33 and saying that because I really without therapy I would not exist so I and I that's why I'm such a proponent of it and I'm so open about it cuz it like it saved my life. Mm-hmm. So when I went to therapy, then she, my mom called her and want, asked the therapist to tell tell her what we talked about. And my therapist was like, I can't do that. But even that bridge, like, that breach of, like, coming into my private space and wanting to take it over is very Middle Eastern. It's yeah. like we're doing it out of love. We don't want you to be gay because it's a cult and they're going to, like, something bad's going to happen to you. I've had them, they told me that I'll get HIV and that they'll have to take care of me and not my friends. So there's a lot of things that have been said to me where it's, like, it's unforgivable, but then it's, like, I'm having dinner with them tomorrow. Like, I, it's this weird, like...
1: I don't under, like, I try to create boundaries in space, but, like, in that culture, it's just so hard. It's, it's just, hard to have both. It's, it's interesting, because if you talk about all this having a double life and stuff, and then at the same time with your parents, you can't have the double life. Like, you can't have that double relationship, and that makes sense. What, what do you mean double relationship? The double where it's like, I can be this, and we can have a healthy relationship. It's like, no, either we're not going to talk about this this doesn't exist and it's like the relationship is always on their terms always yeah it is
0: it is and it's always like it's crazy because it's like always on their terms it's like funny my dad um i texted him because i quit my job and i was like oh i need a little money and he was like oh i can't give you money and like all this stuff and and which i understand i'm a 33 year old man like i get it but then he turned around and it was like it was almost like passive aggressive he was like oh i donated money in your name to the mosque and i'm like like, eh, it just feels like, what? I was like, I remember I got that text and I was like, like, I get that I'm not your responsibility anymore, and I, sorry, and I don't, you don't need to, like, take care of me, but at the same time, like, it's like, funny what's that? Like, what is that,
1: that? What is that? Yeah, like,
0: I, 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 just I you guys just can't just see me. my face, but I'm definitely like, oh, like, just rolling my eyes. Like, yeah, I mean, but it, it, <laughs> that's not a neutral experience. It must hurt a little bit. It's like a bee sting. Like, Like it passes, like, I'm used to it, like, it... But, I mean, a lot of these things over
1: over, over life can... Yeah, they can kind of kill you. (laughs) You know what I mean? Emotionally kind of get you down, and for sure, for sure. Do you ever talk to your therapist about how to navigate the relationship that you have with your parents in that capacity? I mean, I haven't been in therapy in years, so I... I It's definitely
0: something that I've been kind of considering going back, because when I came out, like, and I've come out very late, I came out, like, six months ago to my parents.
1: Oh, Oh, it's very new. Very new.
0: It's very new. And for someone that's like public and I, you know, I have these panels at the LGBT Center and I'm talking about being authentic and all this stuff, I realized I was a fraud. So I was like doing all that. And again, my friends were all like, you can, again, you can like not be out and still want to live your most authentic life in your own space. But I got to a point where I was like, I need to be out in all aspects. Like I don't want my parents to see this Instagram and have... But at this point, if they see it, I've already softened the blow. Like I've already told them. Like I had people at the mosque that I guess saw my stand up and they were not happy. And it's like I mean, and also
1: let's be real, like you're not a subtle person. Not at all. But so, I mean, I don't know if you shapeshift when you go home or something like that. No, I, I can't mean, shapeshift, shapeshift that much. But, yeah. what, is, but, but <laughs> the, what the thing is that, like, I am
0: always living my best life and being the most kind of gayest version of myself. I think that what therapy brought to me also was I was able to come out to myself finally. Did therapy so. give
1: you a space to finally have that type of emotional privilege that... Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, finally. Like, I was actually finally validated for how I felt. It wasn't like okay, you're going to say something really life-changing, like, I want to kill myself, and then the next moment we're going to be like, do you want tea? It's like, that's... Tea's not going to fix it. It's
1: not going to work out. Middle
0: Eastern people use tea to fix everything. I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> like,
1: I don't need tea. The cardamom isn't going to do it this way. No, long. no, no a cardamom's
0: not a going to fix it. <laughs> but, like, it doesn't fix everything, and I think a lot of um, Persian people, specifically, like, they they like to just push everything under the rug. And after a while there's a mound and you it's, you can't get around it and I got to the point where I was like I can't keep
1: doing it. so this. what was it like for you to have somebody validate your experience in a real way in a non-judgmental reflected like real mm-hmm. this is this is really happening and it's actually mm-hmm. a little messed up like what was that experience like for you um you mean from the, ther- from the therapist yeah from yeah the- well, she never actually said. Well, a therapist usually can't
0: say if it's wrong or not, but she, her faces and and the way that she started to carry me. And then I started going to therapy four times a week, so it was very intensive. And I think for a lot of people, they think therapy... If anyone out there thinks therapy is, like, fun or, or, or superfluous or, like, an extra privilege, it's not. It's a lot of hard work. Like, you're digging through your childhood. A, an example she used, which I really related to, she's like, When you set up your life, you're like a five-year-old, you're blind, you're setting up cabinets full of, like, a filing cabinet, right? But you're blind. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to therapy, you're now seeing and you're rearranging that filing cabinet. So there's a moment where our lives are in jumble and you need to go to therapy to kind of get you to that next level is so important. And so for me, it was so nice to have a stranger be like, I don't really care what happens to you, like, in that scheme of things, but I also love you. It was a really weird... Therapy is so weird because, like, your therapist loves you but doesn't care what happens to you. Where your family loves you and cares what's going to happen to you so they're worried about you. So when you go to your sister or your mom and you're like, I want to kill myself, they're like, holy shit. Because they go into, like, we want panic mode and they want to fix it. You know, and that's... But the problem with that is that you're putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. So I had so many Band-Aids on this bullet hole, like... I was categorically depressed yeah. and people didn't want to talk about so it. So what you know? did there,
1: how did, how did you work through it over the five years in therapy? Is yeah. it just talking about it? Um, I
0: mean, it felt great. Like for the first time in my life, I was like, I have a toolkit. Cause I used to have such debilitating, like flight anxiety. I used to have debilitating anxiety. I couldn't even go into a store without having a panic attack. Wow. And I remember being like, and people meet me now and they're like, you're so flamboyant and you're so strong and you're, de- and like you're so public and you seem so comfortable, but That is not... An overnight thing. Like I work at that. Like there are moments where I have lots of anxiety, but I've learned through therapy to go through it like a wave, instead of going over it or around it. Like that breaks your neck. You go through the wave. Yeah. So I realize whenever I've anxiety, you learned how to feel things. Exactly. I learned how to not only feel things, but also realize that like I'm okay for having those feelings. I'm okay for feeling anxiety about meeting new people, or I'm okay for feeling depressed in a moment and having my mood shift and wanting to go home. Like that's fine. That's okay. But you. But a lot of middle culture specifically, I can't speak for other cultures, is that they're like, no, 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 you're depressed. You're going to stick it out. You're going to like pretend to be fine. Put on the fake smile. Like... What I realized, the most messages I get and the most responses I get on Instagram are when I talk about depression or anxiety. Mm -hmm. The most people reach out. I could post a thirst trap photo, no one cares. But I post that, people are like, oh my God, I can relate.
1: Yeah. You know, and I can... That's where the connection happens. Yeah. When you
0: show a little piece of yourself to... Yeah. Yeah. Vulnerability, people want that. Like Brene Brown says, right? Vulnerability is courage. Like, I am obsessed with that. Because I used to think that you cry, you're a sissy. You show emotion, you're a pussy. Like, the way that guys are trained... Especially Middle Eastern men, like, there was a jingle that Middle Eastern men say where they're like, What's that? Your penis is gold and it's for the ladies. Like, they would sing that to us when we were kids. Wow. And that creates when a you're kids. So. When you're kids. And it's a thing. And a lot of it's called Dudutala. A lot of Persians will know.
1: And it's wait, a wait, whole how does like, it, Can
0: you sing it in Persian? Like, yeah. Dudul Tala's Ma'al Which means, your, your penis is gold. Like, you can do no wrong, basically. Yeah. So we create a men. You are perfect, right? You can do no wrong. You can stomp on people. But when you have real emotions, then they're like, you're too perfect for that. Yeah. So it sets That's you right. Up for fear. If you're
1: tall and handsome. Why do you need
0: therapy? Exactly. Or people would say like your parents are well off or, or you went to USC or you have a nice car. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like that has no bearing on how you feel
1: on the inside. Yeah. So it, it's funny. Like, and I, I don't so know. How do you feel connecting with your emotions and being okay feeling all that you feel whenever you feel it? How has that unlocked other parts of your life? It's a great question.
0: Um, I used to always like hide behind the whole Gemini thing. Like, oh, I have mood swings, I'm a Gemini. And I have a lot of emotions because I'm a Gemini. But now I'm just like, no, I'm a person. Like everyone has emotions. It's just about how you feel them and relate to them. And a lot of people will say like, Feelings are not truth. Like, which is one of the reasons I did not go on antidepressants when I was going through my depression. I did not go on any drugs. Like, I wanted to feel what it was like to be human. I wanted to feel empathy. I wanted to feel what it felt like to be in a closet, to be trapped. And that's all my power now. Like, without that, I don't... And a lot of people are like, oh, do you wish you were straight because then life would be easier? No, because I wouldn't feel everything I feel now. And I wouldn't have the only purpose I've ever had in my life. Which is? Which is, like, literally being a visible queer Muslim. That's my entire purpose in life, is to show people that, like, I can be Muslim, and I can be in entertainment, and I can wear a wig, and I can wear whatever I want, and I can still respect Ramadan and I can still do all of that. Like, I'm not drinking for Ramadan. Like, I, I usually drink, but I'm not drinking this month. And for someone that might be like, oh, well, you're not fasting or praying, but for me, that's observing as a Muslim. It's it sounds like, like you're not allowing you know, people to police you as much. Exactly. I'm done. Like, I'm done police being police because I was police my entire life. Like, don't do that. Go talk to those kids because you're being antisocial or, or stop being so gay. You're not gay enough. Like, it's always been something. So I've gotten to a point where I'm like, I'm going to do it the way I like and I'm going to talk about what I want to talk about and people, if you don't like it, like, then probably don't go on my Instagram.
1: And that's okay. Like, that's okay. I'm not upset about it. Like, I'm not even angry about it. You know, Solange says the same thing. Or rather, is it Tina? It's, it's on Solange's first album, but I think maybe her mom says it like, this I might love, not I be. I love Tina. Yeah, she's like, some things are not for you.
0: Yes. Yes. When I started my Instagram, it was coming out with love. And it was all about positivity. And it was all about... Which is great. Like, I'm not against being positive. But I, it, was, it wasn't authentic to how I felt. I was very upset about queer issues. I was very upset about transphobia and the racism I've gotten on Grindr. Being called a terrorist and faggot in the same week. I was upset about those things. So I was like, why am I talking about... I love the queer community. I don't. Mm-hmm. I was angry and I was very upset and I wanted to be disconnected from that community because I felt they weren't including me. Yeah. So when I talked about really how I felt, then people were like responding and connecting and engaging because that was authentically how I felt. Yeah, and, you know? uh,
1: and then the fact is, like a lot of people probably felt the same way. Yeah. And it, it's a yeah. common criticism about the gay community here True. in LA especially mm-hmm. is very exclusionary. So very. one of the things that you're doing, uh, which I really admire most, is that we, I always say, like we have all the insight you can have all the awareness you can have all of it but if you don't put it into action mm-hmm. then it's really you know a lost opportunity sure. but you're putting all of this into action in your own way so i know the most the next upcoming thing that you sure. have coming on is your pool party yes tell yes. me about that
0: i am so excited about this so i was watching the show shrill which is on hulu and it's with ad bryan and she's like a curvy woman and she and the whole point of the episode is that like of the show is that she's gonna have sex as a fat woman as she says and she's gonna like Im- like enjoy having sex and like it's all the, the show's all about that and so she goes to a pool party and it's a body positive pool party and it's like women of every color and shape and they're just in the pool and they're living their best lives and I remember watching that, sitting on my living room floor, and I was crying, and I'm like, why am I crying watching this? I I felt very emotionally connected, because I always felt teased. I remember I went to a 7th grade dance, and some girl was like, oh, Amir Stuffs his bra. Like, you know, just being teased for not having that perfect body. I was mercilessly teased. And I thought, okay, I'm going to come out, and people are going to accept me, and the gay community is even worse. So I was told many times, one time, right after sex, he's like, if you worked out more, you'd be a great boyfriend. Stuff like, I've been told some really... Really fucked up things. And I've been called all kinds of names by gay men. And I was like, you know what? I've been to enough of these pool parties where it's a bunch of buff white guys in a pool. Which, again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just I never felt included in that space. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how can I create an environment where people feel included? So I was like, I'm going to create this body positive, gender inclusive, trans inclusive party where people can come with their scars, with whatever they have, whether it's physical or emotional, and come to a space where they can be seen. How
1: do you create that space?
0: So the way you create that space is that like, you are so adamant about creating that safe environment. I know people say safe space like it's a fucking throwaway word now. Everyone says it about everything. But when I really say it, I really mean it. And I had a friend reach out and, you know, he was like, I have a ridiculously muscled body and I don't want to make people uncomfortable. And I'm like, if you feel that way, don't come. If you're already going to come in with that, like, misogynistic... Because it's all misogyny. It's all thinking, I'm buff and masculine, so I'm better than you because you're more like a woman because you're feminine. Okay, Which, I've not heard d- that before. Don't get confused because I'm as I'm more of a man than you'll ever be. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Let's not get into a sword fight now. <laughs> <laughs> sword fight. I love it. Um. So then, I, the way you create that space is by you being so kind of almost a bit militant about the space. So I'm very clear, and I've been very clear about this, whenever I do Insta Lives or I interview people, if someone's being inappropriate, you got to leave the conversation. And so, the, long story short, the point of the party is that you walk in, there's going to be a mirror, and everyone has to write one thing they love about their body in Sharpie. Yeah. And I'm going to present that at the end of the night and I'm going to show people, like, this is your, even if, if if it's just your knees, you like your knees, great. We're doing something, we're on the right track. Yeah. Because I've been the heaviest I've ever been, but I'm the happiest and I feel the most sexually viable that I've ever felt. I used to be buff and skinny and I've had all the different body types and I felt most happy now because I feel confident. Yeah. And that's really the point of the party. I love it. It's for you to feel confident, even if it's just for four hours.
1: I am so, I'm so sad I'm <laughs> going to miss it, but I'm so excited. You'll to be, there spirit, be there in spirit. I'll be there in spirit. Amir, thank you, thank you, thank you thank for taking you. the time to come and chat with us. It was channels. so fun. This was fun. It. I had a great time. Me too. Thank you. I'm Jahan Sharif, and you've been listening to Jaja. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Amir. To keep up with both of us, check out the show notes in the description or visit my website, jahansharif.com. While you're there, sign up for my weekly newsletter delivered right to your inbox every Saturday morning. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.